Good morning. All 10 people in the room said good morning in return. That's awesome. Good to be with you this morning. My name is Glenn. Uh, if you are tuning in for the first time here today to our gathering as a church, uh, you know, we have a tradition at the Rock Church. I just thought of it this morning. And even though there are just 10 of us here today uh, in the building, uh, I'm going to do this because those of you who are online can also celebrate this with us, but I need to introduce for the first time at a Rock Church gathering, Mr. and Mrs. John and Lorraine Simmons, like right over there. Like, <laughs> I know, it's, it's so weird looking, uh, you know, when I get texts or looking on Facebook and it's Lorraine Simmons. Like what's, I don't know, I, quick change, it's awesome, really, really good to have them here this morning. Um, we're going to be getting into our passage for today in the Gospel of Luke, as usual, in a few minutes. But I, I wanted to speak to begin with this morning um, just about the things that have been going on in, uh, obviously, the past four or five months. Um, and I, I want to just update a little bit further uh, from our e-newsletter that most of you would have, of course, received and fully read, right, uh, that went out on Friday. But I want to just give you a little bit more information about that. Uh, last Sunday was the first Sunday in a while that we actually live-streamed live here uh, on Sunday morning. So the worship team and myself and uh, the audio-video tech team were here. And that was uh, the first time in a while, and it was basically for the reason that uh, we wanted to begin the process of potentially gathering here again. And so it's, uh, it's, it's something we're planning, we're looking at, and in fact, we're hoping if we can get everything in order, uh, that next Sunday we might allow people to register to reserve seating, uh, limited number of seats, and be here with us on Sunday, September 27th, which would be awesome because to the day that will be our 11th anniversary as a church. So that would be kind of exciting. So we're going to provide a little bit, or quite a bit more details, pardon me, uh, in the days ahead. Uh, because what we want to ensure everyone is that we're thinking about safety protocols and we're thinking about distancing, we're thinking about masks and sanitization and how to do all that and so forth. So we came to this decision, uh, quite frankly, after much prayer over the summer and uh, also meetings with our extended uh, ministry team. We also sent out a survey and asked many of you to let us know your thoughts and feelings about these things, and you did, which was great. And then last Monday night, our elders met, uh, and we made some decisions about that, which I'm, I'm sharing with you now. So all of that said, there's one more thing I think that I'd like to say uh, for us to remain in prayer about. One of the thoughts that uh, I have had, and I think many other pastors and uh, ministry leaders across North America that I've been talking to or reading or listening to have been asking is, um, what should we be learning um, over the last six months? What is the Holy Spirit of God trying to teach us about what it means to be the church, right? Because it changed. It changed almost overnight, literally. Uh, one Sunday we're all here, and then the next week we're not here. We're not here at all, and things changed dramatically. And so some of us, I think, are beginning to wonder, well, when, when, will, when will that be over? When will we? Well, probably when there is a vaccine, and probably not for a while. So what are we learning? What, what do we learn from this? On the one hand, I get that uh, because most people, I think, from day one were thinking, okay, as soon as, the sooner the better that we can get back to what we were doing before, great. That should be the goal. And I remember thinking at the time that I heard that, of course, I'm thinking, yeah, <laughs> it wasn't 
it wasn't going badly what we were doing. It was, it was great to be here, have fellowship with one another, uh, see visitors showing up uh, on Sundays. We had two last Sunday, actually, who came, knocked on the door, and two lovely ladies we actually let in. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's, it's changed so much. And so, yeah, we're looking at that, and we're going, when can we get back to that? And the, I think the, the heart for most people is, let's get back to that as soon as possible. And yet, I think we need to put a pause on that and ask a very important question, and that is, what is God trying to teach us about this? This is not a surprise to him. It's literally from his hand. And so I have and others have been giving a lot of thought to this about what does it mean to gather as the church? What were we doing before that was, was good? And by the same token, what needs to change? Because, again, I don't know about the rest of you that are sitting here or those of you who are watching online, but for the last month or two, uh, I've also been sitting at home with you watching the pre-recorded worship and sermon myself at home. And, and listen, production quality has been pretty good, right? It's not been bad. Uh, the teams have been doing a really good job and so forth. But truth be told, because um, Janice will sometimes nudge me on the couch and go, I'm going to go make some toast, right? Like in the middle of my sermon, right? And uh, whatever it might be, but, but the truth be told, that, that's just, it's a challenge, isn't it? It's not quite the way it used to be, and yet we're, what are we trying to do? Well, we're trying to continue with what we planted this church with, which is Acts 2.42. You know, the simple plan of the early church, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, the breaking of bread, the prayers, and the fellowship. It seemed to work for them, right? Uh, the church exploded and grow, grew in the first hundred years uh, and spread across the, with the commission, the whole world, to the ends of the earth and in those days anyway. And so we look back on that and, and we ask, okay, what are we going to be doing though? Because here's the, here's the reality. We might have 25, 30 people here, you know, one Sunday and then maybe a different 25, 30 people here the next Sunday. But the truth is, for many, many, many more months, Many of our church family will remain at home. They will not feel comfortable with that. And there will be no children's church to begin with right now anyway. So what do we learn from this? What is it all about? And here's, here's the thought I want to ask you to pray about as we're going forward. I want us to pray about the goal. What is the goal of what we're doing? Is the goal just to gather and to do those four things essentially? Those things are important. They're good. We miss them. And if you miss them and you say, well, I just want to get back to that because I miss that, that's a good thing. I miss it. I certainly miss all of you. I can actually look out right now and I can see 10 people, but I can see the seats and where people used to sit. George and Anna would be right here, by the way, right? And Maureen would be right over there. And it, people would be here and we miss it. So what was, what's the goal? Well, the goal, the goal is to make Jesus known and to further the commission that he's given to us, which is to make disciples who make disciples, which results in the expansion of the kingdom. So here's what I'd like our church to pray about and to be thinking about, and I know the ministry team is. What needs to change? Or, or, or what, not so much needs a change, but what could change about this? What we do on Sunday morning so that it would better equip everyone in the church not just those who can gather here, but those who are watching online. And so please be in prayer about that because that's my heart. I, I feel we need to change things up a little bit. Um, not so much just to keep your attention or to have you engaged, although that is important, but um, so that we can grow and so that we can further the goal, which is the expansion of the kingdom of God in Squamish here 
first of all. And so we need to make some thoughtful and prayerful changes. So now as we turn to our text for today, I hope you will see, listen, in this text something truly profound, uh, not because of me, but because of the text, because of what the Holy Spirit inspired Luke to record about the events of an incredible day in the history of this world, but also in the life of our Lord. I hope it'll speak volume also, and I hope you'll see about today, about our current moment, because I think more than anything, I think most of us today need certainly some encouragement, but also encouragement in this way, that God's in control, that God's completely in control, that we can trust that, and that we can believe that. And so I, I, I believe that's what this text is about. I said to Jen this this morning while we are having coffee, you know, like, I got a little stuck early in the week because I usually have the, the idea of what we're going to, you know, and I was like, so I actually had to go out and listen to a few other preachers preach on this text, and lo and behold, it's exactly what I remembered. Most of them were trying to fill, not that they were doing a bad job, they're mostly better preachers than I am, but they were trying to fill the story the one simple nugget aspect of the story with all kinds of other background and context and so forth, which is all really interesting. It is. You know me. I like to do that. But it, it, I feel and I felt misses the one simple thing. And so that's what I'm hoping we'll be able to see today. So let me ask a question like I like to do just to get us focused on this text for today. But my question is, have you ever wished that you could, with pinpoint accuracy, see the future, right? Like, here's a good question. How many of us would like to know absolutely when? We can go to a doctor's office or to a clinic, roll up our sleeves and get that injection and be free of COVID. I mean, how would you feel, honestly, if you were to get a call next week and someone was to say to you, yes, on February 11th, 2021 at 1.45, you can come and get the shot? I don't know about you, but I was thinking about how, how might that change tomorrow for me? Well, it would give me a lot of hope, right, number one. And I'd be like, okay, so today and until February 11th, I got to keep my mask on, I got to keep washing my hands, I got to keep safe, I got to stay away from certain people, whatever it might be. But th there's that hope of that future appointment. So how about this question? It's been asked before. It's been asked before, I know, but I want you to see it in a different light for today. What would you, would you like to know, I want to ask? The exact day, moment, hour, minute that you will pass away, that you will die. Would you like to know that? Now, philosophically, we're not going to get into that this morning. That's, that's a pretty heavy question, and most people, I think, come to the conclusion, no, but as you, soon as you start thinking about that question, it's like, wow, it's very, very heavy. And so let me put it to you this way. You know it's coming, right? <laughs> you know it's coming. It, it, that day is coming. But I wonder if you know this. I wonder if you understand this to be absolutely true. And that is that the day and time of your and my departure from this planet is already set. And guess what? There's nothing we can do about it. Great. I hope and believe from today's text you're going to see that all that you're going to see this come full circle. I hope you're going to see this, and that is this, that uh, this text will show us that God is in full control of every moment 
in history. Everything that happened before this day in Jesus' life, what happens on this day, and everything that will happen in his life, and therefore, by extension, in all of our lives, is completely set. And listen, we don't have to worry anymore then. Because of that, we don't need to worry. And again, you know why. It's because your life, your very breath, are in the hands of a God who is so very good, who so loves us and wants the best for us, and He will accomplish those things for those who love Him. So let me read our text from Luke chapter 19 this morning, verses 28 to 40, and then I'm going to pray one more time, and then we're going to have a look at what this story and this uh, report of these events that happened on this day might mean for us. Begin with me in verse 28. And when he, Jesus, had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it, you shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus. And throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud, boy, loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you once again for this day. Thank you for appointing this day. Uh, for those of us who are here in this room, on this day, at this moment, and those watching online, this is your will. You've, you've even orchestrated that. Lord, oh, I hope, I wish we could clearly all really see that. And therefore, there's something that you have to say to us today. There's something that you want us to hear. And uh, just the reading of this story is, is hearing you. And so, Lord, I thank you for that. The Holy Spirit, I pray that you would use these words, the simple thought that uh, you've given to me from this passage. And I hope my brothers and sisters and friends will hear it today and say, yeah, that's, that's a good word, Lord. Thank you for speaking that word to us today. So I just pray that you would be with us, and I thank you in Jesus' worthy name. Amen. So as you know, for the past few weeks, Jesus, his disciples, and the great crowd, and of course the religious dudes, the Pharisees, have been following him, and they've been in and around the city of Jericho. It's the last stop on the road to Jerusalem, and they've spent a few days there. And so Luke describes here in this first verse, let me put it on screen for you, it's verse 28, a momentous time and day in history. Look at these words. He says, and when he, Jesus, said these things, he went on ahead going up 
to Jerusalem. Luke is an incredible writer. You know, if you've read the other Gospels, they're, um, they're all amazing. They're remarkable. Luke, of course, as you know, was not uh, someone who lived or met Jesus in the day. He, he recorded all of these events by talking to the eyewitnesses, all of the people who were there. He was thought to be a Gentile skeptic who came to faith in Jesus through the ministry of the Apostle Paul. And he's, uh, he's a physician, but he's also this, this, this journalist, this historical writer, and he has a very unique perspective. And so, as I said, in this one voice and one verse, I mean, you can just skim right by it, right? Because it's not the words of Jesus yet. It's just this one verse. But he's, he's telling us that there's a moment in time that's taking place, and that's important. So when Jesus finished what he had been saying, which we've seen for the last couple of weeks, teaching and preaching and parables, and in the regular course of the conversation that they were having at Zacchaeus' home and then afterwards, he goes on ahead, and he leads them up towards Jerusalem. Now, I've never been to this part of the world before. would love to go there someday. Janice would love to go there, so I think I might be going there. Uh, it would be awesome to go to the Holy Land, right? But those who I've read and spoken to, they will, they will tell you that the road from Jericho to Jerusalem is, is literally uphill. Like, it's straight uphill for the longest time. It's like the first, you know, what, 200 meters or 300 meters of the chief, right? It's like up the... It's, it's a climb. Whether you're in a car, like your car is straining to get up this hill. It's a long way up. And then what's really, really remarkable, it's a little bit like going from the, coming from the Okanagan back to the, the, the valley, right? To the, you know, you come to hope and you've just left the desert and all of a sudden, oh, you know, lush green. And, and, and that's also what is seen. They get to the crest of this hill, leaving Jericho. And so this is what they're going to be seeing. They get to this crest. We won't quite get all the way there today in this text. We will next week in the text as Jesus sees Jerusalem after coming through the gates. But that's the picture. They're on this uphill journey. So let's just think about this moment in time for a moment. <laughs> What I want to ask us is this. Did Jesus just finish doing all this preaching and teaching and parables and so forth in Jericho and all of a sudden, you know, we didn't have a watch, but all of a sudden think to himself, okay, this cross thing, it's got to happen, so better get going. Like, is that what he thought? Because it's very intentional. I want us to be able to see that. So, friends, we need to understand that for those who do not know God, that's what I was thinking about. For those who do not know God, uh, do not know what he is like, they don't know his word, and sadly, sadly, for even for some Christians who don't truly know him and know his word, there's a perception that Jesus, listen, on this coming week, just got caught up in everything that was going on, and he fell prey, he was just a victim, and the circumstances were such that he ended up getting crucified. Almost to think that, you know, God stepped aside and didn't see it coming right? Well, their view also would be this. Well, yeah, he, he ended up getting crucified, and then God got involved. And then God was like, well, okay, now I need to rise him from, raise him from the dead and, and, and let him walk around for another 30, 40 days so that everybody can see him, so that they will believe and trust in him as their Savior. Uh, salvation accomplished on the cross, death, burial, resurrection. Now we can move on. I have, I have to believe, I know some people see God that way. And so I wonder, I wonder if we sometimes can look at that that way today, especially related to our current moment. 
I mean, how many people might be thinking that, you know, at one point God was like, hey, Jesus, Holy Spirit, Wuhan, China. I mean, who saw that coming, right? <laughs> silly, right? Sounds silly. But I, I think it's possible to flip into that, to, to slide into that in our fear, in our wonderment. And certainly if, if, you, if you don't have faith and trust in God through Christ, that might be your understanding. Well, at the end of the day, I'll just be honest. For me, that would not be the kind of God who I could literally worship. It would be hard to worship a God like that. Amen? It's also hard sometimes to have faith, to have that kind of faith that He is that sovereign, that He wills these things every single moment. So let's continue and see this day unfold for Jesus. Verses 29 to 30, I'll put them back on the screen for you. When he, Jesus, drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples saying, go into the village in front of you where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it, bring it here. If anyone asks you why are you untying it, Say to them, the Lord has need of it. <laughs> Again, I, I know I'm, I, I sometimes think when I'm preparing sermons that you've got to think that I'm odd, right? Because all I can do is ask questions. I just look at things like that, and, and I'm wondering if you can see what the most obvious question here has to be. Like if you're one of the disciples and you're there at that moment and he's telling you to go do this, isn't the question, how do you know this is what's going to what we're going to find there. How do you know there's going to be a cult in this town that is tied up? Well, most cults will be tied up by owners, but here, here, here's a qualifying factor. Has never been ridden before or broken before or sat on. That kind of lowers, I mean, the, the, the chances have just been lowered, aren't, haven't they? That that's going to be true. Really lowers the odds tremendously then how did he know? How did he know in advance that someone might actually ask them, hey, what do you think you're doing with our cult? Stop and think about that. What, what is this doing here? Why is this necessary? Well, there are a couple of reasons, but I really do believe one of them is our big idea for today, and that is that Jesus is our perfect king. And everything about him and about God is about perfect timing. He's our perfect king, and it's about perfect timing. So, so now, I've already read it for you before, but let me put it on screen again. Look how it plays out. He, he predicts this, tells them to go and get this colt, and sure enough, look what happens. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, no, come on, really? Yes. Its owners said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And so they brought the colt to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the, coat, the, the colt, they set Jesus on it. So it, it's exactly as predicted. Like, the colt is there at the moment the colt is supposed to be there. So are the owners. Is this coincidence? Like, what is going on here? How is this prearranged? 
right? And it's almost like the owners knew he was coming, right? I mean, they're, they're, I mean, I don't know. I've got a colt that hasn't been broken yet. You know, I've raised it. This is an investment of mine. Someone comes along and just says, the Lord has need of it. Okay, well, good. Give me like 100 denarii. Like, no, just obviously they just said, take the colt. So then we see the disciples, they take the colt, the two anyway, and they, they put their cloaks over it, which is their outer garments that men would be wearing in that day on the back of the colt, and they set Jesus on it. Now again, can you see the picture? Again, I think many of you, if you know me, like one of the things I like to do and I like to try to encourage you to do is, come on, let's just not hear this text, this story. Let's try to get into it and, and look at it. And I think it was back when we were in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, I, I, I one time said at this particular point, can, can you try to just sit on the colt and just see what Jesus saw as we go forward here this morning? It's an interesting thought. So I love to try to put myself and therefore hopefully all of you in the story. And what I'm hoping for is that you will see and not just hear, see, of course, Jesus first. Yes. But also see the disciples. Because listen, they are us. <laughs> They're in the story. So it's like we're there. And so as I look at this, I have to ask, why doesn't anyone ask Jesus? How do you do that? I mean, honestly, Dude, how, how, do you, how do you do that? We haven't been near these towns in like over a year. So obviously you couldn't have prearranged this. Um, it's crazy how this has happened, especially with all the, the crazy turns and detours. I mean, it, it's actually a kind of a miracle that we're arriving in Jerusalem in time for the Passover. Right? It's, that's a miracle. But it doesn't seem to strike them. And they don't ask. So what does that tell us about them? Well, as we've already been seeing, they, 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 they haven't got to the point, really, where they're thinking, maybe they have, well, he's Jesus, and, and this is just what he does. Get used to it. No, actually, I want to suggest something else might be happening, and it's what has been happening. Jesus was preaching this to them just in the last couple of weeks in the text that we looked at in Luke, and basically saying to them, guys, your expectations of what are going to happen in Jerusalem are just, it's not what's going to happen. <laughs> it, I'm not going to establish my kingdom now, at least not in the way that you think. It's not going to happen. That was not going to happen next week. No, I'm going to be betrayed by my own. Most of you are going to run away. I'm going to be falsely accused and be tried in a mock trial, and I'm going to be crucified I'm going to die and I'm going to be buried. But good news, boys, I will rise again on the third day. So here's what I think is happening and why they don't stop and ask, how did you do that? Hey, help us understand that. Why is that an important thing with the cold? Why? They're not seeing who Jesus is yet, is why. They're just not seeing who he really is and truly is. They're still hoping and frankly, wanting him to be, as I've been saying repeatedly for the last couple of weeks, who they want him to be. And so they're missing so much. Now, again, we're on this side of the cross, this side of the cross. And so we obviously can see much more, I hope, especially today. So the story goes on. And as he rode along, 
they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God, this is beautiful, with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. We'll pick up on that phrase a little bit more next week, but for Today, I just want to also say this. I remember, as I alluded to years ago, when we were looking at Matthew's record of this moment, Jesus riding in, and I asked us to put ourselves on that colt and, and look with his eyes. Because, again, I think it's important because it, it helps us to see us, right? I mean, he's... Oh, talk about meekness. Talk about humble. Talk about loving. I mean, he's seeing these disciples. He spent three years with the men and women. I mean, Lazarus is probably there, Mary and Martha, the 12 apostles, of course. There's probably about a total of 500 of them with him at that moment in that place. And, and, and he's coming towards the gates of the city, and he's looking ahead, and he's seeing these 500 ragtag group of people who somewhat believe but don't have it all figured out yet. And by the way, the majority of them are going to be responsible for the expansion of the kingdom, right? At some point, good news, they're going to get the Holy Spirit. But he's also, he's seeing them elated in that way, which has to bring joy to his heart. But he's Jesus. And as we will see next week, the passage for next week begins with the words, as soon as he sees Jerusalem, he weeps. He's devastated. So you've got to see that as this is happening. Yes, what his disciples are doing is loving. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. But he's also seeing the Pharisees in the crowd gathering. And he can see Friday at 12 noon. He can see it. Crucify him. Crucify him. He can hear it. Humble, meek, beautiful, beautiful king. So again, what were the disciples thinking here? What did they see? What do you see? Like, who is this man? So back to my first question for us this morning. Imagine you know the day, the very moment, the hour to the second of your death. And then think of it this way in relation to what we're looking at. At this very moment, I mean, he's known it all along, come on. But at this very moment in the life of Jesus, Jesus knew. He knew. And here's what he knew, which is really important for today, because we're going to spend two months in four chapters of Luke and one week in Jesus' life. And what he knew was that he was divinely on time. He was divinely on time. This, this was not an accident. His lowly estate that displays his humble and loving meekness is, yes, on display, but behind all of that is the sovereign will of God every moment, every second. I think it's powerful. That's worthy of praise, is it not? That that's our God. It's exciting. So you think predicting the whole scenario regarding the cult was amazing, right? I mean, it is. It's, it's amazing that Jesus knew that and foretold that, but you know what? <laughs> Again, if you know your Bible, you'll know that Matthew records these events, 
and adds a note that Luke omits, and that detail he records is this. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by Zechariah. Oh, that's interesting. A fulfillment of prophecy. Right. 500 years before the events of this day, the story of the cult is recorded. It is prophesied by Zechariah in chapter 9, verse 9, where he says this, Rejoice greatly. Well, that's what they were doing on this day and in that moment. O daughter of Zion, people of Israel, my children, Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation. Is he humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey? So Matthew adds that context also, that there was, yes, the colt, but there was also the colt's mother was there. Now Luke, Luke omits that, and the question might be, well, oh, is that inconsistent? No. No, it's not. And again, all of the gospel writers had a specific purpose in mind, something they were trying to show us about Jesus. And you all remember, that's our screen and our theme for this particular gospel, is that Luke wanted his best friend, Theophilus, Theophilus to have what? It's our favorite word at the Rock Church, certainty about what? Who Jesus really is. We need that. We need absolute certainty that he is this God. So again, as I said, Matthew mentions the foal of a donkey, which he admits, and it's the purposes of certainty. So see the picture here. I'll bring the verses previously back on screen. Disciples, of course, at that point, they're, they're, they're not thinking and remembering their Bibles, are they? They're not going, oh, wait a second. Like, you would think they would say that, or someone would mention it, that this was a fulfillment of Zechariah 9.9. But I don't know, maybe it's possible, at least for some of them, because it's beautiful the way they break out in worship of Jesus as king, right? Especially those words, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. They're declaring, however, also, I want to suggest, as we will see as the week goes on, what they're wanting and expecting more than anything, and that is that he will accomplish that now, this week. So this is the time when their Messiah, Savior, they hope, will establish his reign and rule. Well, there are about 500 of them, as I said, probably, again, Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, and they're praising him and worshiping him, which to all the onlookers, think about this. There's only 500 of them because it says his disciples are the one that are doing this, right, that are praising him. Sometimes I think we get this, this, this vision from the Scriptures that all of Jerusalem's come out to hail him as king. No, not exactly. That's not exactly true. It's probably just about 500 of them. So to onlookers, this has got to be really strange, isn't it? I mean, here you got this guy. I mean, he's a rabbi. They know that, but he, he's, you know, he's not obviously very wealthy. Look at the way he's dressed. And, I mean, this is the king coming on a colt? This is the guy who's going to overrule the Romans? Yeah, I don't think so. Doesn't look like a king. And, and, and look at the, the people who are, like, worshiping him. I mean, just, that's not a, a king who has power to overturn an evil empire arrives. Certainly not for what is apparently a coronation, 
So we're, as I said, going to get into more details next Sunday surrounding what is often referred to as the triumphal entry. Listen, I get that. As, as the church, as Christians, it was a triumph, wasn't it? We know how this, this work, this, this, pardon me, week ends up. It's, it's a triumph. Only God could, could pull off. But I don't know. I think we need to see it more for what it really was. A very meek and humble and lowly entry to his death for you and for me. And so before we go to our conclusion, we need to look at, and our key takeaway for today, we need to look at the response, of course, of the Pharisees, and then Jesus' response to them, just briefly. The passage concludes with these words, and some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, not king, rebuke your disciples. Again, that's making it clear that it was the disciples were praising him in this way. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. So from worship and praise, we, we, <laughs> we arrive at outrage. I mean, the Pharisees have had enough. And they're, they're gonna, they, they, like literally, they, they plot that. They've, they've been plotting all along, but now the plot thickens. They, they, they do not want this man around by Friday. They just don't. And that's... Uh, what they're going to try to accomplish. So the religious types who clearly think, I mean, besides the crowd, they clearly think that, look, this is ridiculous. What you're doing is ridiculous to bow down to, the, to, to, to this man, this guy. I mean, we understand he's, you know, he's pulled off some tricks and some miracles and all the rest of it, but this is, this is kind of ridiculous as he arrives for, I mean, this is holy week. What's wrong? Get, get your priorities right. Get focused. This is about Passover we're Jewish people. <laughs> but secondly, I think for them, and this is, this is righteous in their minds anyway, this is blasphemy. It's blasphemy to bow down and worship anyone but God, which clearly shows, number one, they didn't know their Bibles very well either, did they? These are the religious leaders, the people who taught the, the Torah and the law and the Old Testament scriptures. Zechariah 9.9, anybody? So many things were missed. How did they miss that one? But they did. And then secondly, they obviously, listen, they don't just not see him as their Messiah. They don't want him as their Messiah. And so theirs is the typical response of, I want to suggest to you most people today, and sadly some Christians too, and that is that, listen, we have our own expectations of whom we will admire and therefore worship, and we all do worship. We all know that, right? And secondly, we all have our own timelines in mind. <sighs> Lord, I'm waiting for you to, you know, normally I would use an illustration like bring me a husband, but he did that. And, uh, but there's something we might, you know, like, what's the, t God, what's your timing? Like, it's just not, Lord Jesus, come quickly before the next U.S. election, please. You know, there are so many things about timelines that we, we all want, and, you know, sometimes it's not so bad. I mean, I, th I think about it this way. I was thinking, I is it not true? Let me propose to you this way. Is it not true that if you could plan it, if you could say to God, here, here, I'll tell you what the timeline should look like, I would approve of this. 
you know? Uh, how about I get to live until I'm 85? That's a, that's a good time, you know, four score, whatever, I don't know what the numbers are. And, and uh, you know, 85, and I'm healthy. I can still climb the chief, get out of bed, whatever, uh, until I'm 85, and then I die in my sleep. Anybody? You know? That, w- that was actually my father's wish. And he didn't live to 85, but at 74, he did die in his sleep. I think many of us might think that's good. It sounds like a plan. Again, we don't have any control over that, do we? We don't. And you know what? It's a good thing. (laughs) It's a good thing, if you think about it. And what's even better is we have a, a God and a Savior who we can trust that maybe we will live to 85. Maybe we'll be healthy until that time. But whenever that time comes, today, tomorrow, next week, five years, 10 years, 20, 30 years from now, it'll be his perfect timing and we'll be with him. So I want to just conclude with this with you this morning. I want to talk about the one big takeaway I'd like to leave you with this morning. I hope you've seen it coming. It's not, I don't necessarily think, super profound, but it's this. The word of God is his revelation of who he truly is. That's why it's so precious. That's why we actually should gather and, and, and open it and read it and study it so that every week we can be refreshed with his word. We should do it every day, but that's a good thing. It is the truth about everything, by the way. It is the truth and the way and the life about everything because it's about Jesus and his important work for us on the cross. And most importantly, and what we've seen in the simple yet profound details of this part of Jesus' story is that our Heavenly Father plans every moment of our lives in perfect ways every day. Just sometimes doesn't look that way to us. I often think about and have spoken to other pastors and theologians about heaven. Have you ever thought about that? And, and one of the truths that you'll learn from Scripture is this, that eternity is a long time, by the way. It's longer than 85 years. Thank you, Lord. But throughout all that time, we are going to be learning more and more and more and more and more about who He is. And here's a truth. We're going to look back on the days of our lives, of every moment of our lives, and we're going to go, that was perfect. Even though at the moment we're like, you know, I was just thinking about it, you know, Janice and I, and, and all, like, what is it, 13 years ago now? No, no, 12 years ago now, uh, I leave the business world, go to seminary. Um, we pack up and we move here. Didn't know anybody, right? And, and I can just tell you, like, and I know some of you can think about these things, and you need to think about these things. The number of times that perfect timing where God gave us this or brought this person into our, these people leave and these people come, it, it's incredible. It's incredible if we pray and we ask him. So listen, what we need to do, I want to leave you with is this. Every day then is look to our perfect king. Every day let's look to our perfect king. And I want to today just conclude with this. He is our perfect king. He was their perfect king even in that day. And why? Well, because, as we'll see next week, the perfect king arrived at the perfect time He's the Lamb of God. He was the Lamb of God. He is the Lamb of God. All of the sacrificial lambs that were arriving in Jerusalem for the Passover arrived on this day. He will be the first one on Friday 
to be sacrificed. He's perfect. His timing is perfect. I hope you see that today. Pray with me, would you?